0: Teachers, friends of teachers, family members of teachers, significant others of teachers, listen up. April Smith is a Teachers Pay Teachers seller, which is an online marketplace that sells teaching resources. This was a side hustle that she started back seven years ago and very quickly was able to replace her entire teaching income. And now she's a six figure seller. This is an amazing side hustle for teachers that you may not hear about. We've featured teachers who do real estate and other things on this podcast. This one is a lot easier and it's a lot near and dear to my heart because she's selling digital downloads. And you all know that I have a course coming out on digital downloads that's launching very, very soon. Go to goldcityventures.com if you want to learn more about it. But I got connected with April because she actually contributed some awesome bonus content to the course for anyone who's interested in selling printables on another platform. So today we're going to talk about April's financial freedom story, what Having a side hustle like this allowed her to do, and then now what her goals are now that she's an entrepreneur. We're also going to get into the nitty gritty at the end with some tactical tips about if you do want to sell printables or if you do want to sell on Teachers Pay Teachers, here are some tips from a six figure seller. Let's go. Welcome to Fire Drill Podcast, where side hustles, savings, and creativity lead to financial independence. With your hosts, Gwen from Fiery Millennials and Jay from Millennial Boss. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fire Drill. I'm so excited to have April Smith here. April, welcome. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So please start by telling everyone a little about yourself.
1: Well, I am a mom of three-year-old twins. I am a former teacher. I was a teacher for 10 years. And right now I work from home and I have a business that I attempt to run by myself, but I have a few people that work for me. But mostly I'm just being a mom and enjoying the fact that I can do that without having to go to work every day and be in a classroom and bring all of that junk home, all the paper home and all of the worry and all the stuff that comes with being a teacher. So where did you live and teach? So I live in Arizona. I actually moved here from California when I got my teaching certificate because we did not have a lot of teaching jobs. And it was to the point where they were pink slipping teachers who had been with the districts in California for five or 10 years. And so there was no way I was getting a teaching job there. So i ended up moving to Arizona because we always desperately need teachers. And I got a job here and was going to be here for a couple of years and ended up meeting my husband who was teaching two doors down from me. And we ended up getting married and had kids, and I've been here 12 years. (laughs) Wow. What grade were you teaching? I started with fifth grade, and I ended up teaching fourth, fifth, and sixth grade language arts, which I absolutely loved. It was my dream job. My students were all advanced learners, so they had to test into the class. And I was just teaching reading and writing, which is what I'm really passionate about. So that was really hard to leave when I left the classroom because that kind of job is really hard to come by. But I'm really glad that I did it.
0: So it sounds like you really did love your work, but it still wasn't everything that you wanted or needed it to be. What made you make the decision to leave?
1: I probably would have never left. Honestly, it had been three years that I had been making my full teaching salary with my side hustle. And I was still in the classroom just Doing both the side hustle and the full time job. And I would have probably done that forever and ever and then retired at 80 as a teacher. But I got pregnant and found out it was twins. And once that happened, my mindset really changed. And and I just knew I couldn't juggle everything anymore. So I was very back and forth about it. But one day, I just got up the nerve and just told them I'm not coming back next year. And then once I did that, I felt really relieved. Well, that's an amazing story and so awesome.
0: And I think everyone's heads just turned like, wow, you're able to replace your full salary with a side hustle. That's pretty incredible.
1: Yeah. Well, in Arizona, when you're a teacher, it's not as hard as it sounds, <laughs> but it was pretty amazing. It was definitely a blessing for us. We originally weren't going to have children because with two teacher salaries could never afford daycare. And we had Upwards of like $70,000 in student loan debt. And we just really knew that we couldn't do it. And so having that extra money for those years before I quit was a real blessing. So we're going to get into what
0: your side hustle was and the particular details. And I know now that's your full-time hustle. But Mm -hmm. before we do that, let's talk a little bit about your money journey. As you know, this is a financial independence podcast. And I think even though you are not in the financial independence retire early space per se, Your story is about financial freedom. So talk to us about the journey that you and your husband went on with regards to money.
1: Yeah, so we never had it. (laughs) And we were those people that we listened to financial podcasts a lot and just really were careful with money. And it was to the point when we first got married that we were not going out to do anything with friends. We weren't eating out. We were couponing we were doing whatever we could to have a little bit of money left over to put towards our student loans. And the student loans were getting paid off really slowly. And we were happy about that. We on two teacher salaries lived in a two bedroom apartment. And for us, that was a lot. That was a lot for teachers. And, you know, after a couple of years of that, and just trying to figure out what extra ways I can make money, I fell into my side hustle and just used it for extra money. And we used it to pay down the student loans. And then I feel like I woke up one day and it was more than that. It was my full-time salary and our student loans just like were gone within a couple of years. It was amazing. Were you guys Dave Ramsey followers? No, I don't really agree. I think, first of all, I think what he does is great because he is getting people to get rid of their credit cards and get rid of their debt but I am not in that camp of cut up your credit cards. I am more the juggle your money and make it work for you and pay down your debt, but still enjoy yourself while you're doing it and still use credit card points and rewards. That was the only way we ever traveled was on credit card rewards. So we didn't really follow him or his plan, but we did put everything that we could from My side hustle and also like things like summer school and tutoring and I did swim lessons. We did basically whatever we could do to get that student loan debt paid off.
0: So what are things like with money now? And what are your money goals now that you have paid off all of your debt?
1: Well, it looks completely different. When we paid off all our debt, we did not want to get into more debt. So my husband wanted to get a master's degree and become a principal And since that was working towards a goal that would eventually make him more money, I agreed that it was a good idea. So we actually saved the money. In all honesty, he went to the cheapest online school that we could find that was accredited because we did not want student loans. And we didn't really care what the name of the school was as long as he got his license. So we did not do any more student loans. Now we work with a financial planner, which has been a really big blessing because we are in such a different financial situation instead of what we did for years. I mean, ever since I was 16, I feel like I've been paying off debt from when I got my first car. And so now we really needed help figuring out how to plan for the future with our money instead of paying off the past, which is what we did for so long. So we really just are in a situation where we're trying to make sure that I don't ever have to go back to teaching if I don't want to, and that our kids have money for college. My husband has the ability to do a job that he wants. We really have refocused our goals a lot.
0: I actually did an online master's program too. I was a little bit nervous to do it because I thought would online not look as good? And the way that I approached my undergraduate, I was trying to get into the best school that I can get into and have something that looked fancy. And then for the online master's approach, I didn't want to take time off work because I still needed the money to work. Also, it's a lot cheaper. It can be a lot cheaper to do it online because my employer could reimburse it. And I thought it was a better move for me. For anyone wondering, I have MSCIS, Computer Information Systems, and I got it through Boston University, but the Metropolitan College. And BU is a good school, but like, what is the Metropolitan College? But no one has even cared. It hasn't been like a thing at all. I'm so glad I did
1: that. Exactly. I feel that way about community college, too. I went to a state school for my last two years, but my first two years were community college. And nobody even knows that because nobody sees my full transcripts. They just want to know that I have a degree. And in all honesty, nobody's even cared where I went to get my four-year degree either. They just want to know that I have it so that I can actually legally teach. So I, I feel like it doesn't matter for a lot of careers and that if you can save money by doing community college or doing an online master's program that's cheaper that it's way worth it. I'd rather have more money than have my degree say some sort of fancy college.
0: Me too. And I don't even know where my degree is. Some people print it out and they put it on their wall and it looks nice. Mine's probably wrinkled in a box. I don't know. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I know we were so proud of them when we got them. And we always thought we would frame ours, even my husband's master's degree. But in all honesty, it's just a, a stepping stone to get us somewhere else to get us to a career that makes more money. So the paper really doesn't matter. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And now my degree doesn't even matter at all because I'm not even using it. Because you're an entrepreneur. Because, oh yeah, I don't care what degree I have and I'm my own boss, so.
0: (laughs) Well, cool. And that's definitely a good segue into what I wanna talk to next because everyone knows a teacher and we have a lot of teachers who listen to this podcast. And the current situation with teachers and reaching financial independence is that there can be a little bit more of an income cap in teaching, whereas if you're in a different field, you have a lot more potential to grow your income faster. So hearing about your side hustle, I think will be super interesting. Why don't you tell us a little more about the side hustle journey? Where did it start?
1: Yeah. So, well, it, it started, gosh, I can't even remember how many years ago this was, maybe like six or seven years ago. It's been a long time, but it just started with me Finding a website called Teachers Pay Teachers where you could download worksheets. And at that point, they were usually pretty basic lesson plans. And I was using it in my classroom. And then I thought, oh, I'll just upload one of my things and we'll see how it goes. And I uploaded something, and then I think I made like 60 cents in my first six months and I had kind of written it off. And then I learned about something called project based learning which was not completely new to teaching, but it was something that was, you know, coming up that teachers really didn't have a lot of information about, but I really got into it. And so I started making lessons for it and there weren't lessons anywhere online for this. So I started uploading those and people really started buying them. And then after a few months of that, I got a couple people message me asking for more and then people saying, Hey, put these all together as a bundle so I can buy all of them at once and all of a sudden I was making you know 100 dollars a day sometimes during the really big months like August and I could not believe it and you know I was using all the extra money for student loans and we were using a little bit of it to occasionally go out to dinner every once in a while because we never did that while we were paying off our student loans it was a really a special treat for us And I think about a year and a half into it, they decided that the website Teachers Pay Teachers was going to have a conference for everybody who sold on there. And it was in Vegas, which is five hours from us. But so it's drivable. But it was at the Venetian, which was really expensive. And the ticket cost money. And we were kind of on the fence as to whether or not we wanted to use money towards something like that when we need to pay our student loans. But I ended up just randomly like buying the conference ticket we got like a forty dollar a night hotel not even close to where the conference was and we went and it like changed my complete mindset about what i was doing on there it showed me that if i kept creating things that were really high quality for teachers that they would come and buy it and i could actually do it as a business from there on i've just always treated it like a business and i've thrown myself into marketing conferences marketing podcasts. I've added almost 250 products to my Teachers Pay Teachers store and have just collaborated with a lot of other Teachers Pay Teachers sellers to get the resources out there to teachers and have had just, I think, amazing success with it. I still can't believe it every day.
0: Wow. Okay. So let's take this back for anyone that's not familiar with Teachers Pay Teachers. I'm assuming it's a marketplace where teachers can put up digital products and then other teachers who need them. Maybe, you know, if you're teaching third grade Spanish and you have an awesome lesson plan, you put that up and then a teacher who's teaching third grade Spanish downloads it for his or her
1: class. Is that how it works? Exactly. It's just like Etsy, but for primarily digital downloads for teachers. There are some videos, but most of it is like downloadable PDF content.
0: Is everyone who's selling on there a teacher or do non-teachers also use that as a side hustle too?
1: I think it's mostly teachers or people who are educators of some sort. I'm sure there are probably some homeschoolers on there, but it's primarily lesson plans. I haven't seen anyone try to use it for anything else really.
0: Okay, cool. And I'm
1: assuming that when you're pricing these
0: things, you're pricing it according to what a teacher would pay for the product. So can you give us an idea of like, how much would a teacher pay for these different products?
1: Well, when I first started, there had been this guide that it was 10 cents a page. I think that was kind of what we were going for. And so we kind of followed that formula. But it got to the point where people started making things that were really elaborate. And they weren't just worksheets, they were more like full blown curriculum. And because of that, people started raising prices to more than like 10 cents a page, because they were more valuable than just a worksheet. But most of my resources. Individually are between five and eight dollars. And that would be something that would be like an entire two week unit, whether it's a writing unit or a project. When I do some escape games that are pretty popular, those I charge five dollars for each of them. But the big thing that we do is we bundle all of these things together so that teachers can buy something that will span an entire year of that topic. So like we could have an entire year of writing lesson plans and that we could charge anywhere from $60 to a hundred. And teachers are very willing to pay for that because it saves them so much time and they get something that's really high quality. Okay. What is an escape game? It is an escape room that's modified for the classroom. And instead of solving clues just for fun, they're solving clues that have to do with reading or math standards that they are reviewing in their classroom. That's so fun. I wish I was in your class. That sounds awesome. You know, I actually made that game after I was out of the classroom. That was something that I came up with last school year. And it has been one of my more popular products just because I think I took something that was already really popular and made it actually work for the classroom and made it really fun. But we've had hundreds of teachers share on Instagram pictures and videos of their class doing it. So that's been really cool to see since I don't have my own classroom. And that to me is an even better feeling than that cha-ching of getting the money for the resource. Yeah,
0: I guess a good strategy is to find something that's trending in the outside world and then apply it to the classroom.
1: Yeah, definitely. Anything that creates a really fun learning environment is going to do very well on Teachers Pay Teachers. So, if you're comfortable sharing numbers, when you
0: walked away from your teaching job, you said you had replaced your salary. What was your salary Mm -hmm. at that time?
1: I think I was getting around 35 to 40. We have a lot of money that is kind of weird in teaching. We sometimes get it, we sometimes don't. So, our salary is never set. But I think probably the most I had made was 40. Cool. And so, you were able to make
0: $40,000 essentially from teachers pay teachers, you're not just making like $200 a month, like you're making legit money on this.
1: Yes. And what I always say to this is like the most important thing is you make what you put into it. So like somebody who's doing it very casually, like I was at first could be making 200 a month, and they're very happy with that. But there are many of us who have this as our full time business. And many people also have full time employees who work on their teachers pay teacher store with them. And so many people are making way more than that. And that's a great point
0: to mention. We've done a lot of side hustle type stuff related to
1: this podcast,
0: and I've done a bunch. And I think your mileage may vary. There's no way that someone signing up will say that they'll be able to guaranteed make a certain amount of money. But if they work really hard and they work smart and they're willing to pivot and experiment. I think that last piece is what a lot of people forget you can't just try something and it doesn't work. And then you're like, "Eh, it didn't work. So, you know, moving on, you have to switch it. You have to change it. You have to experiment. Like I've had days where I adjust something a million times just until I get it to turn back on profitable. And I think that's the piece that a lot of people are missing.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I've been doing this for seven years and Every day I still think, oh, I could have done this better or, oh, I could be making more money off this. And I'm constantly working hard to take these situations where a product flopped or isn't doing as good as it used to and turn that into a positive and and then still make more money off of it. So a big part of my focus is just keeping my sales going. It's not something I can just turn off, unfortunately. So it's a lot of work and it's a lot of continual work to improve.
0: So I have a course coming out on Etsy printables and I know you contributed an awesome bonus video about Teachers Pay Teachers. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for letting me participate in that. I'm excited to see it. Oh, of course. It's awesome. So how do you actually make the printables for Teachers Pay Teachers? Is it similar to Etsy where you're using either Canva or PicMonkey or Adobe products? What do you use?
1: Yeah, it's very similar. And people do use different things. I would say most people use PowerPoint. That has just been what became popular in the Teach to Teachers world, mainly because I think we're all teachers. So we already used PowerPoint. Originally, people used Microsoft Word, but it wasn't easy to design things in, in Word. And so about a year into my business, everybody was switching to PowerPoint. And I, a lot of people do use Adobe Illustrator which I think their products look amazing, but I could totally see people doing it in Canva as well. I do a lot of my email opt-in templates in Canva now just because it's so easy, but majority use PowerPoint. That's actually really awesome because I think one of the blockers to get
0: started with a side hustle like this is that you may say, oh, I don't know the software or I don't have time to learn something new, but most people have used the Microsoft Office suite, whether for work or anything. So to know that you can make printables using those, and make good quality ones that sell, that's really encouraging.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's probably why that started is because teachers really didn't want to invest the money into Adobe Illustrator. And so they were just using what they had, which is PowerPoint. And once somebody discovered that you could change the size to 8.5 by 11 and export as a PDF, I think it changed everyone's world. <laughs> And we still use it. Have to try it next. It's very cool. And I still use PowerPoint to design my products because it's what I know. And I don't like to change things up when I feel like I've somewhat mastered them. So I know you also have an awesome podcast
0: and we'll talk a little bit about that in a bit. Thank you. But can you tell us about some of the stories of teachers who have come on your podcast and how this side hustle has transformed their life?
1: Yeah, mainly in the podcast, we have people who we know in our world, who we've become friends with over the years. And we've collaborated with, we have them come on and talk about topics around marketing and and just things that they do really well, because, you know, every single one of us has something we really do well for me, I think it's Pinterest marketing. And so they share something they're really strong at so that other people can learn that for their business. Most of the people that we have on the show are either full time doing Teachers Pay Teachers or they've used the money for really incredible things. We have friends who have kids with special needs that they're able to spend more time with. They're able to have them home with them instead of having to fight them to get to school. We have a lot of just regular homeschoolers. They just get to homeschool their kids because they have this side hustle, which is their full-time income and they don't have to teach anymore. We've had people who have done adoptions from other countries with the money from Teachers Pay Teachers. We just have a lot of incredible people who have put the money to really good use. And a lot of them are full-time doing this and not in the classroom anymore. That's what I love about side hustles because it gives you the option
0: in a very safe space because you currently have your full-time job. It's super tough to juggle both, but you're kind of building out another life path for yourself that you can take. Some of the people you've had on that have exercised that choice and chosen to leave their full-time job to do this, that's just amazing. But that's why I love the concept of a side hustle. I mean, I think that's a very conservative way to build out your future.
1: Absolutely. And we like really love it as our full-time jobs, but we also have people who have been on our podcast who are friends with that will never leave the classroom because they love it there so much. And some of them are making, you know, six figures range and have not only their teacher to teacher store, but have done book deals or deals with manufacturers for teaching products. And they won't leave the classroom because they just love it so much. And it's it's where they want to be. But they have gotten better jobs because of it. And they've been able to teach for their passion and not have to teach necessarily just to support themselves. So giving them that option is pretty amazing, too. So I know you have three-year-old twins and your husband's
0: still employed, but have you done any cool travel or had any awesome trips with your time off that you've been able to do?
1: (laughs) No, because we have three-year-old twins. You know, honestly, that was my vision of financial independence was, especially with my husband being off the summers, being able to go on these amazing trips and having the money to do it. But then we realized when we take our kids on the trips that it is a lot of work and one of them always gets sick and it's just a lot of stress. So we don't do a lot of the traveling that we want to do because of that, but we have set ourselves up so that once our kids are old enough, we can take them places that we really want them to see. And we are also setting ourselves up so that when they are off and on their own, we can actually travel and go wherever we want. I'm kind of
0: realizing for myself, I'm about to enter a period of focusing (laughs) on someone other than me or my husband. With the baby. So where I'm currently six months pregnant. It's so awesome. It's awesome. But I'm starting to realize that like already it's (laughs) summer in Seattle. It's beautiful. My sister wants to go camping and I'm thinking I can't lay on the ground right now. I can barely like lay in a bed. (laughs) I just got this pregnancy pillow that's massive. And apparently it's going to change my life.
1: I had mine for like a year after my kids came. So, (laughs) oh, you did? Yeah. People say they love them. Oh yeah, and your body like just gets sore in places and it never gets better. Not, I shouldn't tell you that. Yeah, (laughs) don't. I'm just trying to like
0: discover things as they happen to me versus yeah, about that time.
1: (laughs) We do do a lot of trips with them that we wouldn't have been able to do without this flexibility. We do a lot of three day weekends. We're able to take them a few hours away to go to a zoo or an aquarium and we travel a lot more than we would have if we didn't have the teachers pay teachers income and the flexibility of time And, and sometimes my husband will take a day off of work just for us to do something special with them and we wouldn't have done that before if we were really worried about money and income and all of that so it still is having a positive impact on us we're just not traveling like out of the country like we wanted to with two three-year- olds,
0: <laughs> right, so how do you decide how much of the money that you're making to invest back into your business?:
1: You know, I'm not very strategic about it. Like I said, we do have a financial planner who I talk to you know every quarter or so, and he reminds me of what my goals are and what we need to do on the personal and the business side. But anytime I see an opportunity for learning more about something that I really immediately want to do. In my business, I take it. So last month, that meant spending $2,000 to take a course on creating a membership site, which is something that I have been working on since January that I think is really going to increase the number of teachers I impact and also increase the income that we're getting. So I did invest in that and I do invest in a lot of conferences and other ways to just learn more and collaborate with people. But I'm the kind of person where if I go to a conference and I learn something, I do it and I make that money back. So I don't have like a set amount that I necessarily invest back in the business, but I do do a lot of investing in my own learning and then I do always see a return from it. Do you outsource anything? Everything I can possibly outsource. (laughs) And I used to be really bad at it because I am very type A and I want everything to be a perfect representation of myself and how I would do it in the classroom. But I realized this last year, especially with all the extra projects that I'm doing, that I couldn't do it anymore. So I've always outsourced editing that I think is really important, but I outsource my social media completely. I have a teacher who actually used to work for a social media marketing company before she went back to school for teaching. So that worked out perfect. And she's fabulous. So she does all my social media. And then I have a photographer here locally who takes pictures of my products and she takes pictures of me. So whenever we need more social media pictures, she comes by and takes care of that for me. And I also have a videographer here that does the same thing. She sets me up to video. She edits all my videos. And so, of course, we have outsourcing for the podcast as well. Our podcast, we don't do it to make money. We do it to help other people who are teachers, big teachers, sellers. So we do outsource everything just for time's sake because we're running our businesses and we aren't really running a business to market to people. So we just take everything for the podcast and we outsource that. So if there's anything else that I can learn to outsource, I will absolutely do it. (laughs) Have you ever outsourced the actual printable creation? No, that is something I really hold on to tightly. I have recently hired some teachers to help me write lesson plans, like really detailed lesson plans for the activities I've created. So I still do the creative part, but I needed some teachers to really look at deep into standards and all of that education jargon that their listeners are probably going to not not understand but I did hire them to help me with that. But I still do the primary content creation and I'll, I'll never be able to let that go.
0: That definitely makes sense. Where did you find those teachers, by the way? Were they friends or did you find them online?
1: No, mostly I do not hire my friends. My editor is a teacher that I taught with years ago and she's been with me forever. But I do find that it's difficult sometimes to work with a friend, especially if They're slacking off for some reason. Not her. My editor would never slack off. She's very type A. But I personally prefer to find somebody who I can, if I need to, I can fire them and not have to worry about it. With a friend, I think it would probably take me 10 times as long as I should to fire them. Savage. (laughs) And cause me a lot of stress, you know? So I just personally don't usually hire friends, but I did actually put out a job posting on my website and sent it to my entire email list of teachers saying, hey, I'm looking for teachers who can help me lesson plan. And then we did some rounds of video interviews to see who I really jived with. And from there, I I just picked up the most passionate teachers that I met with and I had them do a sample activity for me. And from there, I, I picked three really stellar teachers who have really done a great job helping me make the lesson plans for my activities for my membership that's debuting soon. So I got really lucky with them, but it was a lot of work to hire them.
0: I kind of love hearing you say that. I'm laughing a little bit in my head because I think a lot of us in our day jobs, if we have hiring responsibilities or we're helping to interview someone, we're so critical. But then when it comes to our side hustles, we're like, oh, like you have a pulse. like You can just do this task. And My virtual assistants that I have now and the people that work for me, they are awesome. They're so awesome. But I did test a lot of people, like you said, where I would give like three people similar assignments and then whatever one was the better one, go with that person.
1: Yeah. And that's really smart. And it took me so long to figure that out because in the beginning, I was just so grateful that anybody would try to help me that I would take anyone. I guess I didn't take myself seriously enough to feel like I was a real boss or had a real company to hire people and therefore i was just kind of picking whatever person i saw online had a website and that's just that's just not good once i started taking my business really really seriously and treating it the hiring process like a regular business would i got much more quality people
0: that's a really good point
1: yeah i think it takes changing your mindset
0: so speaking of mindset one of the blockers that people have to starting a side hustle is that it can never feel like you have enough time in the day mm-hmm. and i know back when you were teaching The motivation to do this probably drives you. And for me, like being motivated and liking it and everything, that's what makes me find the time. But like, especially with being a mom and everything, like how do you actually do this? Is there like a secret sauce or something?
1: (laughs) I think it's what you said. You have to be passionate about what you're doing. If you do a side hustle just because you heard somebody made money doing it and it's not something you're really interested in or passionate about, it's probably not going to take off. So I it was something I would just loved doing. It was actually my hobby. Like I would stay up late, I would do it on the weekends. It was really fun for me when I loved being off work on vacations because then I could make things for my Teachers by Teachers store. So it it really has to be like that to be successful. And now that it's my full-time job, I have to say it's not as fun as it used to be just creating resources. But I'm finding that I can come up with projects that I get really passionate about to follow, and being able to have that freedom to do so is keeping me going, at least during the day. But you know, I have full time childcare, so that also helps as well. And now my husband's on summer break, so he's really helping with the business too. So I have it
0: pretty good. And you think in terms of finding pockets of time, like I know right now you said your husband's at Walmart with the kids, so this is like yeah. your time. How does this actually work? Like you have the dogs in another room, you get the kids out. For people that are wondering, how do I make this happen? Like, do you have special times during the weekly schedule that you carve out for you?
1: That's the thing is I'm kind of a workaholic. So when I have time for me, I'm on my computer working and that's terrible. And I'm working on it um, because I need to separate my personal life from my business life, which is really hard to do when you're an entrepreneur and you work from home. But mainly my time for myself is the time I have with my kids, (laughs) So they go to school full time and that's when I work on my business and my husband picks them up and he brings them home. And once they're home, I switch off the computer and that's the time with them and us as a family. And so my own personal time every once in a while, I'll take a day off for myself. In December, I took all of December off, which was amazing. And I look forward to doing again. But most of the time I'm a workaholic. <laughs>
0: I can relate to that. Definitely. Although being pregnant (laughs) for a couple months, I couldn't actually do anything. It was like so exhausting. And it was probably really good for me because I I could do nothing but watch TV. I couldn't even like look up things on the internet. (laughs) It made me feel nauseous. Yeah,
1: I was the same way for a long time. And you know, after I had my kids, I had a new, I don't know, a new passion for my side hustle. Well, even though it was then my first couple of months being full-time with it, but I had a new passion for it because I wasn't able to do it much while I was pregnant. And so I think that gives you a break that you really need. And <laughs> I've noticed now that when I take a break for myself, even if it's a couple of days, then I'm able to get going and be passionate about it again.
0: That's definitely true. One thing that I've found is that I can actually do a lot of my stuff on the, my phone. So when I'm taking the bus to work, I will be on my phone and like do a couple things. So then I have 20 minutes in the morning or, you know, sometimes you're at lunch, you're waiting in line or something like that. So I've, I steal away these little pockets of time. Do you have any habits like that, that maybe people could implement in their daily schedule?
1: You know, I am not, I do a lot of answering my emails on my phone, but for the most part, I like to just have a really good chunk of time. I like to sit down for at least an hour to do anything. And I I am the kind of person that likes to work on my computer. I don't like to work on a phone. But I do have a solid, you know, seven hours a day to work. So I don't have to really worry about that too much anymore. But when I was teaching, I would usually on my lunch break, I would pull out my personal computer and that's when I would create, I would create at night a certain time and all of my school breaks too. So that was kind of the luxury of being a teacher is we did have a lot of time off where I could create. And I didn't have to worry about just doing it on my commute. So I definitely feel for you, especially when you have a baby, <laughs> try and juggle all three of those things.
0: I have no idea how it's gonna happen. Luckily, my husband is one of those super helpful husbands.
1: Good. So it'll be fine. Yeah. And that makes a bit that makes a big difference. But honestly, you do it. You figure out how to make time somehow. And if it means something to you, then you will figure out how to make time for it. So let's switch to
0: talk a little more tactically about teachers pay teachers. We talked about designing the printables and putting them up. And we talked about trends and trying to incorporate stuff that's popular in the outside world and bring it into the product. And then we also talked about getting and hiring teachers that can review it for accuracy and standards and other things to make it really good. What other strategies do you use to make your product stand out?
1: I do a lot. First of all, to me, graphic design is something that I think comes really naturally to me. I have always been really interested in graphics and I've always been really interested in the computer. So I'm good with technology. Um, So I really put a lot of design elements into it. And I'm very minimalist too. I know that doesn't seem to jive with what I just said, but I try to keep things really clean. And I think that is helpful for teachers, but also really eye-catching. Branding and learning about colors has really helped as well. Just learning how to make things look good and also to write copy that sells things to teachers. Like I would say with anyone who has a side hustle, the number one thing you should absolutely do is learn about writing copy because there is a formula you can use to get people to purchase your products that you don't normally think about, especially when you're a teacher selling something and you're you're not really familiar with the business world. So that's made a big difference. But mostly design is really what I've focused on that. That's made me successful. And I know this, and we discuss this a lot in the course I'm creating.
0: Most people do not feel like they're good at design. I'm going to guess that they think that they could never make something like that, but everyone in their mother has a YouTube tutorial on how to design things. <laughs> that's true.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of information out there for teachers pay teachers sellers. There are a lot of YouTube videos. A lot of people have courses to teach you how to create But I think content is really the important thing, having really good lessons that teachers can take and implement. I think that's more important to the teachers. I think the design piece is probably most important to me. But if a teacher has a really great idea for a lesson and they want to share it, people will buy it and then they can always learn the design piece. That part you can learn. Knowing how to write really great lessons for kids, that's more difficult, I think. That's a great point. When you mention the word copy, I think everyone maybe knows what it
0: is, but it's not something that people who don't have businesses think about very often. What are you referring to? And like what's a good copy and what's a bad copy on teachers pay teachers?
1: Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things I think of when I think of copy. First of all, I think of like having good keywords and being able to be found in search is very important on teachers pay teachers. I know it's the same with Etsy, but as far as copy goes, it's writing to teachers not only to explain what the product is but what kind of effect it will have on their classroom. And so things that are really popular are usually when you phrase it as it's time saving for teachers, that's helpful. Words like engaging are really helpful too. Uh, If you yourself are teaching and you've struggled with certain things in your classroom, you can use that to write words that are going to tell teachers what your product is going to do in their classroom. And I think That's universal for all different areas of marketing is that if you can really get to somebody's feelings and make them feel better about something or help solve a problem, they're more likely to buy your product. And so copy is just what you write to convince them to buy your product. And instead of making it really salesy, you want to really hit them on an emotional point. That I think is something that I'm still learning personally, but I think it's really important. That is so
0: critical for any business. And even just hearing you say that, it's like if you were sitting down at your computer trying to figure out what I should write about this printable I just created, most people would never think to use those words. But hearing them now, I'm like, oh, duh, of course those are the words that you use. Because that is exactly what the teacher is facing. And the copy is about them and like how your product is going to help them and improve their life.
1: Yeah, and I'm not a a narrative writer. I'm very analytical, so I just like the facts. And I don't really like to buy or read emails or buy products where people are doing that copy where they're telling me their own story and they're trying to take me through this journey. It doesn't work well on me, so I have to kind of put myself in my audience's shoes because it works well for them and really researching how to write copy online in the last six months has helped me figure out what things really help sell my products. And I really wasn't doing a great job of it because I was just describing things.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Like two page lesson plan for. You know. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and really teachers need more than that. I think, I think everybody needs more than that. You know, when, when they're trying to decide if you're going to buy something at needs to have some sort of value to you other than just being a two-page printable or whatever. <laughs> right. Okay, so the last thing I want to talk about, putting these
0: printables up on Teachers Pay Teachers is probably not enough. You have to drive traffic to it. Yes. And I know that you use Pinterest and I believe Facebook to drive traffic. Yeah. So can you tell us a little, just briefly about those marketing strategies?
1: Yeah, so Pinterest is really great for when you're selling Products that are in certain genres. There are a lot of teachers on Pinterest, so teaching products are perfect for Pinterest. Most people who go on Pinterest are looking to purchase something and they're using it as a search engine. So for Pinterest, I have all of my teaching resources. I have several pins for each one of them. I also have a blog where I explain how to teach the lessons, and I have several pins for each blog post. And so I have a massive amount of pins and I continue to, um, I actually use Tailwind and they now have something called Smart Loop, which lets you take all the pins that you want to be pinned and it will automatically pin them to boards for you. So I have everything automated on there, but I do a lot of. SEO, which is search engine optimization for Pinterest, making sure that I'm putting keywords on my pins that teachers are searching for so that they can find my pins and click through to my teachers by teachers store or to my website. And so I've done that for years and I usually get about 1.1 million views every month, which still blows my mind. (laughs) And it does convert a lot to sales, but I also do paid Pinterest pins. They're called promoted pins for just a handful of products that are a little bit more expensive because when you're paying for advertising for a $5 product, the margins can be a little small. (laughs) And so that is my main focus. For Facebook, I have my social media girl posting a lot of updates on what I'm doing in my business. She occasionally posts products and I do get some sales from there, but I don't get a lot of sales from organic Facebook posts. I, however, do a lot of Facebook ads for my bigger products. Like I have a course for teachers. And so I do a lot of Facebook ads for that because it is a bigger price point. So that is really driven a lot of traffic to my course. So I do a lot of both of those. And I do Instagram just to like connect with my audience and get feedback and invite them to trainings and just collaborative things. I don't use Instagram a lot for selling. But um, all those things really drive a lot of traffic to my store. And even though a lot of people find me in in search, I think the reason why I sell so much is because I do have so much content out there that teachers can find on social media.
0: That's what I love about paid advertising, because the targeting can be so good. When you're not a business owner, you're creeped out by it. But you can do (laughs) teachers in Arizona living within three miles of this place with this income and all this stuff. It's crazy. I mean, I guess from the user's perspective, they'd want things that are relevant to them and they probably like your products right. and you've put like a lot of thought and everything into this and you're saving them time you're doing all these awesome things. So why not surface them something that they would really, really like?
1: Exactly. And that's how I feel. And I know I get a lot of comments sometimes from family members that are like, oh, Facebook is watching us, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, I'm glad they're watching you because I might want to sell to you someday. <laughs> But I mean, in all honesty, I'm making sure that what I put out there in advertising is quality. And Facebook does reward you for that. If you put out a a Facebook ad that's really skeezy and salesy, they probably aren't even going to deliver it, to be honest. Most of my stuff is very low cost and gets delivered to a lot of teachers because I think that teachers are seeing it and liking it, commenting on it and clicking it. I put a lot of free stuff to get teachers into my business to learn more about me out in paid advertisement. And those free ads do really well, much better than my paid products that I'm trying to sell. So I found good success with that too.
0: Right, totally. Yeah. And I think if you're not running ads, you don't quite understand how it works. The second that you do it, right. it it's That's like true. opening up to how the world works. You're like, oh, this is what's really going on. So I recommend yes. people get into <laughs> advertising, paid advertising, just to understand it. But for example, one thing that I've been successful with with Facebook ads. I have a post on my blog that's about my engagement ring. My husband and I decided to go with a moissanite instead of a diamond. And if anyone doesn't know what moissanite is, it's a lab-created stone. And instead of being thousands of dollars, it's like $300.
1: Yeah, I really like white sapphires for that reason, the lab-created ones. But I've never heard of that stone before.
0: Yeah, it's like a super rare stone. I don't even know where I found out about it. But I have a post all about my experience with it. And I was trying to think of a post that I could promote on Facebook and pay advertising to. And like that post is a perfect post. And I can target people who are interested in alternative diamond rings. And I feel really good about it because I'm like, I'm going to save them tons of money if they do choose to go down this path, seeing about this in their feed to know that there's another option. They don't have to go with a diamond or to hear from someone that doesn't have a diamond that years out, it's not a big deal at all. No one has ever said anything to me or even noticed it's not a diamond.
1: Yeah. Well, you know how I am with trying to find ways to save money even now. And I totally agree. That's like the community college thing. Nobody knows. So just save the money.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I thought, you know, how would I feel about it? And now I'm like, oh man, thank God I did that. Like I have, you know, friends, family members with beautiful diamonds. So if your choice is a diamond, like I'm definitely not knocking that or saying everyone should do it, but just how I personally am and how I prioritize spending my money, that was not something that my husband and I wanted to spend on. And we were also paying off student loans at the time. So it was kind of like, exactly. We have a choice here and we'd rather financial freedom than this rock.
1: Yeah. Mine was also about, mine was like maybe 250 or 300. It's a very, very, very small diamond. And I love it. And it was just, that was the point of life we were in. Even now, I don't think we would have even bought a bigger diamond. I just think it, it's just not for us. It's just not something we spend our money on. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that too. Like now I'm in a different financial boat. when I have done the same thing and I think I would have done the exact same thing.
1: Yeah. But I'll I'll go to Target and I'll drop a couple hundred bucks on baby clothes. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, everyone yeah, exactly. It's not it's not all about uber frugality. It's just about
0: you make your list and you're willing to what spend on certain things. Yeah, totally. Yes.
1: Yeah, you'll you'll be there soon.
0: <laughs> yeah, I oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Already people are on me about the registry. So my mother in law, who's so sweet, my mom, they're just trying to be nice. But they really want me to make the baby registry and I didn't do a wedding registry. I didn't do a bridal shower. Like it's just I live so far away from family and friends that and we keep moving the last past couple years. So I kind of like it just doesn't really make sense. And also I'm very minimalist because like we don't have a large house. So I'm like, where's all this stuff going to go? Right. So I've been kind of like stressing about this baby registry. And I'm trying to see like, can I copy someone else's baby registry? Because some people think it's really fun to like put the products on the registry, but I don't even know like any of these brands. I don't know what I'm doing.
1: No, just buy diapers and a a baby swing. That's all you need. That's all you need. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Put massive amounts of diapers. You can always exchange them for different sizes and put a baby swing because you're going to want to break. You're going to need that time to work on your side hustle. So get the baby swing. (laughs) Okay. Thank you for the tip. And by the way, ever
0: since I announced I was pregnant on the podcast, people have been emailing me with their tips. And seriously, thank you to everyone listening because I'm open to this feedback because I don't know what I'm doing. And I really appreciate it. So if you have tips on the registry or what actually to buy and or what not to buy or really anything, I'm so open to it. And like I really appreciate it. So thank you to everyone who's reached out to me. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. People have such good advice. And sometimes they have too much advice. So you, you might get to that stage at some point. <laughs> okay, well, I have not hit that yet.
0: Mostly because I just announced this like super recently. Yeah. So I'm still it's in the Usually
1: universe. it's family and friends. They're the ones that I think overstep the boundaries sometimes. Ah, uh,
0: yes. Yeah, I do have some distance there. Unfortunately, I miss everyone. <laughs> but okay, well, enough about my pregnancy. We don't have to go into this <laughs> necessarily. But before we close it out... I did want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your podcast and all the cool things that you have going on. So tell us what's going on.
1: Awesome. Well, our podcast is Grow with Angie and April, and you can find it wherever you listen to your podcast. We talk about teach teachers. We talk about marketing tactics for it. So if there are any teachers listening who are interested in starting it or actually already sell on teach to teachers, it's a good place to get information on how you can use your teaching skills to actually make some money. And I also can be found at aprilsmith.co. That is my main website for I do a lot of workshops for teachers to I don't necessarily work with like new teachers who are learning how to sell resources, but you can definitely email me through there and I can connect you with somebody who does because we do have a lot of great people in our community who teach new sellers how to actually start selling on teachers, but I work with more advanced sellers on things like creating courses Um, doing Pinterest ads, things like that. But so yeah, they can find me at aprilsmith.co and on Instagram at aprilsmithco.
0: Awesome. And your podcast is really great. And it's been super helpful for me. I don't sell on Teachers Pay Teachers, but I still listen to it because it gives me strategies for my other side hustles. So I think it extends over to other groups too.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like Teach by Teachers is very similar to Etsy. And so a lot of the marketing that we do is very much translated into Etsy. And, and anyone who sells digital downloads at all, even if it's on their website, if it's digital downloads of books, I feel like it, it's very similar. Yeah, totally. So thank you again for contributing the video to the course. We're so excited to share it with
0: our course members. It's going to rock. For anyone listening, go to goldcityventures.com to learn more about the course and sign up for the waiting list. I'm very, very jazzed to help people launch their printables business. And hopefully they get as much joy out of it as the two of us do out of printables business.
1: Yes. If people want to be printable nerds like us, it's fun. It is fun. I think it's a fun business. And if you're creative at all, or you just, you know, want to make a little extra money and and have some sort of printable in your mind and you don't know like how to start, I think a course like that is perfect. So I'm excited for what you're doing and I can't wait to check it out.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Well, April, we've come to our final question. What is your wildest dream?
1: Wow, that's a hard question. I think probably it'd be hitting a million dollars in net worth. Is that weird to say a financial thing like that?
0: (laughs) No, because you're in the right place. This podcast is all about money.
1: Yeah, I just I want to be worth a million dollars. I want to see it come up on my um, personal capital app that I'm worth a million dollars like that to me is, is my wildest dream. and, And hopefully we'll make that a reality. And we're hoping to do that in the next five years is my goal.
0: Yay, that's so exciting. Also, I love that you use the Personal Capital app too, because a lot of people in this community, we all use that for the net worth tracker.
1: Yeah, I love it. And my financial planner has an app that does the same thing, but the graphics aren't as pretty. So I just still am on Personal Capital. I just love it. It just looks so nice and it's such a good representation. And when I'm feeling stressed about what I'm doing are just behind on things. I just load up the app and I'm like, okay, I'm getting closer. I can finish this project. It's gonna get me closer.
0: I will link to that in the show notes to the app for sure. Cause I do the same thing. I don't check it as obsessively as I used to, but I do like seeing the little chart, the graph up and to the right and seeing how far I've come since I did download it a few years ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's been like a big difference for us too, but there have been definitely some dips, but usually it's an upward trend. So we love looking at it and it keeps us motivated and it keeps us from buying, you know, like a new car we don't need and and all those extra things that are very tempting. Totally. Well, cool. Thank you so much, April. We really appreciate you sharing all this
0: knowledge with us and your podcast rocks. So I'd encourage everyone to go check it out. Oh, thank you. And thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Go to our website, firedrillpodcast.com to continue the discussion and get the link to our private Facebook group.
1: If you like us, leave us a review on iTunes. If you're like me, you have no idea how to do that. So in the podcast app or in iTunes, search for Fire Drill Podcast, find it, click the reviews tab and write something to make my mother proud of me. We read every single review and want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for making this podcast possible.